go into our second and last instruction for this morning. And I don't know about you guys, I feel like even last time, it, it's just so wonderful to be able to sit with each other and just to learn all these tools. I don't know if any of you feel like it can be overwhelming, right? But it's incredible and it's wonderful. And I feel like even as I was reading, um, while we were reading together, I just felt overwhelmed. This is God's word and it's living and active and God has his word for us and it's exciting. And I'm so glad that we get to do this together. But um, before we begin, I feel the need for prayer. So let's just pray again. Um, Bow your heads with me. God, we thank you that on a Saturday morning, all of us women, we come from different places. We have different things to do. We have kids to take care of. We have schedules, Lord. We have groceries to buy, all kinds of things that need to get done at the end of the week. But thank you, God, for these few hours, you allowed us to just come together to study from your word uh, with each other. Thank you, God, that you would help us to do this. So, God, we pray that in this next hour as well, as you were there with us from the morning, would you free our minds from distraction? And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us, that you would open our eyes, and that you would illuminate everything that we read so that we would read from the very word of God, that it wouldn't just be pages and words, but we would hear from you this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I don't know about you. Um, perhaps you've heard in these past few years, there's a lot of talk about gospel-centeredness. There's gospel-centered preaching, gospel-centered teaching. And, you know, um, if you're a member at Seven Mile Road and perhaps you're telling someone about your church, someone might ask, I don't know, what's the teaching like? Are they gospel-centered? And now there's gospel-centered Storybook Bibles, everything seems to be gospel-centered. I remember a few years ago, about 10 years ago, when I was first introduced to these words, I remember thinking, what in the world is this about? Now, I grew up in a Christian home with a Bible. I pretty much, my parents taught me all the stories, Old Testament, New Testament, all these stories I learned growing up. But this business of, is it gospel-centered? I didn't grow up with that. So I, I literally wondered, did someone come up with this concept? Did a theologian or a brilliant pastor just say, you know what? Gospel-centered. That's what we need to do. That's where we need to be. And maybe someone came up with that. And I couldn't help wonder about that. But as I have grown in my understanding, I have realized that's not just a buzzword. That's not something, that's not a fad. It's not something new. And that's what we're going to spend our next hour, well, 45 minutes or so, exploring why it's not something new. But gospel-centeredness is something that we're going to find in every page of the Bible. We want to point out that this whole Bible connects to the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not a new trend that someone came up with. And, you know, whether you're studying scriptures for yourself, like Colleen said, every day, we pick up scriptures. Or maybe you're a parent. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you're teaching the Bible and studying scriptures with your children. Maybe you're in a discipleship group. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Do you see? Or maybe you have a co-worker or an unbelieving friend that, and I, I envy you. I feel like being a, a mom at home, I feel like those circles don't exist as much. Just being in contact with unbelievers. But if you are in that place, how awesome. Because you may have the opportunity to spend or share God's word 
and through that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, right? And in every one of these circumstances, whether you're at home, whether you're at mom, whether you're a parent, you're working, no matter across the board, when you pick up God's word, the question that you should be asking is, how does the gospel apply? Where do I find the gospel? Now, I, uh, I'm with kids often, but I want to I wanna demonstrate something to you. So here with me. So now, perhaps many of you grew up with a Bible, something that looks like that, right? Maybe you have one at home. I did. Um, <clears throat> David and Goliath, familiar story, right? Uh, David was a shepherd boy. He comes across. Uh, he's fighting in the Philistine or the Israelite army, big giant Goliath, and he decides to take it upon himself. He's going to slay the giant. And we, I think we know how it ends, but I'm going to read the last portion of the story, okay? David aimed his sling carefully. With one stone, he struck Goliath in the forehead. Goliath fell to the ground with a crash. The Philistines ran the other way, and King Saul's army cheered. The end, next story begins, okay? So if you were to ask me what's wrong with it, I think I'd perhaps say, really there's nothing wrong because this is sort of a paraphrase of the chapter from 1 Samuel chapter 17, right? <clears throat> now let me ask you, if you have heard the story before, now some of you have probably been, um, perhaps you've been at Seven Mile Road and you've been hearing some great gospel-centered teaching. Or maybe you've come up from churches or you've brought up in churches where gospel-centered preaching was part of it. So for, for the sake of this example, don't bring in the gospel-centeredness. But how could this passage be taught? This passage about David and Goliath, how have you heard it taught in the past? Give me some ideas. Face your giants. Courage. Have courage. That's right. Be like David. He's the hero. You can be like David. God can use the stones, the little stones to slay the giants in your life, right? Now, um, like I said, there's nothing wrong with this story that I just read. But I want to point out to you that, that it's incomplete, right? Um, I am a nurse by profession, and I remember taking one of my nursing classes way back when, and it was a nursing assessment. One of the basic courses is nursing assessment, where you have to learn the different systems of our body. And we were paired up with other students in our class, and they'd say, okay, go to your partner, and you have to examine each other. You have to examine each other head to toe. And I remember wondering, why in the world would I want to examine anyone who's perfectly healthy? What am I going to get out of this? And the whole point was, well, once you know what's healthy, you will be able to identify what's unhealthy. So once you have figured out a perfectly healthy person, you find someone, and you say, wait a minute, that lump, that's not supposed to be there. What's that discoloration on his hand? That's not how it's supposed to look. So when you've learned what is normal, you'll be able to pick up what's abnormal, right? And I was able to see that in terms of gospel-centered preaching this way. A few years ago, I went to India on a medical missions trip from our church. And we had a chance to go to one of the churches there on a Sunday. And when we came back, one of our members said, you know, we have been spoiled by gospel-centered preaching at our church. Now, if someone were to ask you what's gospel-centered preaching or teaching, 
Perhaps some of you may be able to say exactly what it is. Perhaps other, others of you may not. But when this member, for example, heard preaching that was not gospel-centered, he knew right away. Now, bear with me. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Again, many of you perhaps have, it, have this at home, okay? I'm going to read the same story from this Bible, uh, the last part. So, uh, this is Goliath. He stumbled and staggered and crashed. He fell dead. When the Philistines saw Goliath was dead, they ran away. And when God's people saw them running away, they cheered. God had saved his people. David was a hero. Many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. Something a little different, a little added. However, that last part makes all the difference. And I want to point out to you that that last part is what makes our Christian message different. Um, Colleen brought up earlier that God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. God, all of God's promises in the Old Testament are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so I want to bring out our principle for today. And our principle for this morning is when we study God's word, we need to remember that all of scripture points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the thread that holds the whole Bible together. Let me say that again. It's really simple. When we study God's word, we need to remember that all of scripture points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pause for a brief second here before we go in. Um, if you were to share, if you're, in a, if you're perhaps in a position where you're um, speaking to a friend who's an unbeliever, and you had to share the gospel, can you tell me what is the gospel? Just throw out some answers. Because I think, again, since we're talking, if we're going to find the gospel from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, we need to know what, what it is that we're looking for, right? So, okay, so let's... By the way, I had to get rid of that thing. I'm so not fancy. <laughs> so there will not be any highlighting. We'll be going right into the Bible. Highlight if you want. Take it home. But, yep, couldn't do it. <laughs> okay, so what is the gospel? And honestly, this may be very obvious. I just wanted us to spend just a few minutes reiterating some things that we all probably know. We're sinners. Yep, we're sinners. We need a savior. We need a savior, that's right. Anyone tell me a little more about that? Jesus is our savior and how did he become as our how did he become our savior? Again. Nope. Go ahead. Yeah. Jesus died, right? And it didn't end there. He rose again, right? And that is the message that we hold everything on. And after that, what happens? There's one more part of the, to this message that I feel. 
He's going to restore everything and make everything new. Excellent. New creation, right? Okay, now I want you to think just one more point. If you are talking to an unbeliever, and we live in such a global society, so think about some of the people perhaps that you might interact with. What about Jesus makes it so different from, let me say, Jesus among other gods, right? We may live in America where people are atheist, agnostic, but really there are a lot more people moving in, a lot of people from different cultures and backgrounds. What makes it different? What is important about our message? Jesus is God and man, right? And Jesus, it's through him in believing in him alone that we have eternal life, right? Again, we know these things, but it is crucial to remember that. Um, Okay, eternal life, okay? Um, All right, I just want to uh, pause there for a second. Um, So, um, since we are talking about the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, repentance and forgiveness for all those who would believe and hope of eternal life in him alone, Same page, right? Let's turn to Luke chapter 24, and we are going to focus or sort of sit on this passage for a little bit. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And because I read it this morning, I will tell you exactly which point. It's page 855. Not that you wouldn't know that, but 885. I have dyslexia problems, so this is not helping. (laughs) 885, Luke chapter 24. 13 through 35. Can anyone tell me if you know why this particular story is important to this church? Come on, guys. I had to ask that question. Yes, the seven-mile road. The road to Emmaus was seven miles long. That's why we chose it, because what's happening in this story? Can someone give me a brief background? What? Yep. That's right. Awesome. That's exactly what it is, right? So I'm going to just read this. There's two disciples. Wow, there's the plot characters, right? Okay. So how we're putting a few things in here. Um, I'm going to read uh, verse 25. Um, Jesus tells the disciples. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is telling his disciples, the two men, he's telling them that from the beginning... From Moses and all the prophets, all of the scriptures were about him. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, can we look at verses 44 through 47? Can I have someone read that out loud, please? Same chapter, 44 through 47. Should be proclaimed in the name 
to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Thank you. Okay, so in light of what we just said, this is how Jesus interpreted the Bible. This is how Jesus sees the Bible and how he teaches it. So I want you to take a minute and either in groups of two or three on your table, at your table, think about this. What are some things that Jesus points out to his disciples? How does Jesus see his Bible? Just take a couple of minutes, talk to each other, and we'll... What are some things that Jesus points out to his disciples, and how does Jesus see the Bible? question is how does Jesus see the Bible and what are some things that he is pointing out to his disciples in these verses Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk about this. I, I, I'm really sorry. I hope I'm not rushing us too much. There's a few more things that we want to cover, so, and I and I see that we want to try very hard to end on time at 12 o'clock. So, because most of you know, or, or perhaps a lot of you have are at least familiar with these stories, we're going to keep working so we can work together and go through this. Okay, so tell me, give me some answers here. What is Jesus pointing out? How does Jesus uh, explain the scriptures to his disciples? What is he pointing out here? And give me some verse references as you shout it out. He says that it's written about him in verse 34. Okay, written about him. What else? Well, I think this all points to, like, when he talks about, like, in that same verse, like, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, like, in Isaiah, if you think of Isaiah 53, you think of the Passover, like, all of that. He's the fulfillment of all of what they spoke about. Great. Absolutely. So he's saying from Law of Moses, right? Um, prophets. And the Psalms, right? 
all of it was concerning him and it says so that everything's concerning him from this so that it would be, it would be fulfilled now what do we know uh, all of this as right today this is the Old Testament great okay wonderful what else what's next It's true. Absolutely. Because it's been fulfilled. There's something about history even. He's even saying he absolutely believes it's true. He's pointing it back. This happened in history and it's going to happen and it's come to happen, right? It's already taken place. Absolutely. And okay, what else? Go ahead. Sorry, can you remind me your name? Amy. I, I'm so sorry. I have so many of you to meet. Um, okay, go ahead, Amy. That would be proclaimed. Okay, what would be proclaimed? Let's, uh, what verse is that from? Uh, 47. 47. That this message will be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. Yes, okay, so that's the message that should be proclaimed, right? That there is forgiveness of sins for those who repent. Okay, is there anything else in there? They didn't have. The Bible was not written at that time, but he clearly proclaimed the gospel without the New Testament from the Old Testament. One and and if you were to say it the way Jesus said it, what well, what is the gospel? Again, we're just saying some of the things, but what is it in verse forty-six? That he himself would suffer, die, and put uh, our repentance and forgiveness of our sins would rise again, and bring us back to himself through that. The Old Testaments and the prophets proclaim that Jesus should suffer and die. And then uh, the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Where does this happen? Because it says um, in verse 47, right? Should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. And where does this happen? To all nations. Where do we see that happening? In Acts, great. So where else? Anywhere else? Well, um, like Acts 1, Romans 1, Ephesians 1, That's right. Paul's going out, right? I mean, Acts kind of uh, touches upon all of those. But Paul is going out to the Romans and to Galatia. And then, look, here we are today. And that's where that is, right? And this right here, obviously we know, is the New Testament. I should just drop the mic, go home now, right? <laughs> We're done. Right there, you see it. This is how Jesus sees the Bible. It is not a new trend. We are actually... So, you know, um, I was thinking about it. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with this, but it's incomplete. And I think when you hear gospel-centered and Christ-centered and applying the gospel, we are trying to recover something that Jesus wanted, that Jesus was showing himself. And if we haven't done that all these years, we are trying to recover what Jesus has always done and how we should be studying and reading Scripture. So that when we study God's Word, we remember that all of Scripture points to the gospel of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. What happens when we share a message, or we teach our children, or we teach someone a message without the gospel? What's wrong with saying, 
God can slay the giants in your life. You just need to be willing. Be of good courage. What's wrong with all that? Puts the focus on man. Puts the focus on me. Very good. Okay. Puts anything else? And where does that leave us? Dead. Cannot do it. Dead, right? Works-based. Okay. Anything else? Can you imagine giving that kind of a... um, And again, because we are in Sunday school, because we have children, can you imagine how crippling... I don't mean to say we have children. We're in this, not all of us uh, have children. But in this church, there are children. We teach Sunday school. We're surrounded. Even from that young age, if the message becomes about good works, how crippling that can be, we can never measure up. And then, it, and then you forget, oops, you forget this whole point. We're sinners. We're going to be broken. And it's only Christ who was perfect. Um, Great point. So it puts the focus on me. It becomes works-based or dead. It does not, it's not life-giving. Anything else? Yes, there are hard things, right? It is not just about buckle up and everything's going to be good, right? It's all going to work out. No, actually, it doesn't work out. With Jesus, you know, when we see Jesus, he ended up on the cross. So that you, you, it can happen. It may not all work out good, but our hope is not here. Our hope is in that Jesus died and rose again. And that, in, in believing in that is where we have eternal life. That's our hope, right? Now, let me tell you. Perhaps you guys have friends who are from a Jewish background or a Muslim background, right? Now, we all, perhaps you know, a lot of them know some of these stories, right? If you talk about David or if you talk about Moses, if you talk about Abraham, if you say, you know, we should be like uh, Daniel, we should pray three times a day. Do you know some really devoted Jewish people, and we know a lot of Muslims who will say, yes, I get it. Pray three times a day, absolutely, I can do that, right? And then um, Abraham was a father, like we talked about, father of faith. You should have faith like Abraham, absolutely. They believe in Abraham, right? And then if you take it a little further, so if, if any of you have friends who are perhaps Hindus, you know, you bring up Jesus, um, they think of him as a good teacher. But without going through the work of explaining the gospel, that proclaiming in his name to all the nations, our message is incomplete. Right? And that's why the, the, grav, the, the fact that our Christian message should look different. So when we have presented perhaps a story, any of these Old Testament stories to our friends, they may nod politely all along because they agree. But when you present Jesus, that's when they're forced to reckon with, wait, am I going to accept this Jesus or am I not? So it becomes so important in any area of life. And then even for ourselves, because we're talking about picking up the Bible and reading it, right? 
If you leave it as, I'm, I have to pray like Daniel. Oh my goodness, by like day one, I'd, I'd be done. But it's not, about how, it's not about my good works. How does the gospel apply? I am failing day after day after day, right? No matter what I do, I am broken. But Jesus was perfect, and he did it, and it's finished. And because of my faith and trust in him, that I have hope. So do you see how regardless of what portion of the Bible, what scripture you're reading, it is important to see how, where do I see Jesus in this? So, you know, um, let me ask you, so in some portions, it's easy to see Jesus, right? You're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and anyone could tell you, well, Jesus talks about his death, his, his resurrection. It's, uh, it's almost simple to find him there. It's easier to find him there. But you might say, okay, uh, it's not as easy to find him in the Old Testament. In some of these stories, it's not as easy. And perhaps in the New Testament, it's not as easy to find him in the epistles. So are there strategies that we can use to help us see Jesus in all of Scripture? Oh, you know, I, uh, sorry, I want to backtrack. I just want to read this one part. In the portion in Luke 13, 44 through 47, in verse 20, 45, I want to read this to you. Um, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Right? Uh, that's what Colleen started off saying, that we need to pray. And I was, as I was prepping for this, it's almost easy to just keep reading. But Jesus needed to open their eyes so that they would see him. And we still need him to do that today. If not, you will pick up this book, and there's some great stories in here, some great literary works, right? But we need God to open our eyes. So when we approach this text, we need to pray, and we need to open our eyes. Uh, we need God to open our eyes to, uh, to see his word, to understand the gospel, and to see Jesus in all of it. And I, I didn't want to miss that. I, didn't, I can't overstate it, right? Okay, let's keep moving. And um, let's, again, consider what are some strategies that we can use to find the gospel? Any ideas? Sacrifice, themes, that's an excellent one, right? Themes, sacrifice, excellent. Okay, any other themes like that that you can think of that sort of you find Old Testament, New Testament across Scripture? You know, I think as we're going to say it, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I get it. Oh, yeah, I remember. What about um, high priests, right? The Old Testament, there's all this talk about high priests. And when we get to the New Testament, there's one high priest, and that's Jesus, right? Anything else? Any other themes? Yes, kings and prophets. Excellent. Um, I'm, did you, this is why probably I needed that iPad <laughs> thing. Did you guys get this? I'm going to erase this, okay? Um, sorry. All right. All right. So, um, 
Kings and prophets. Anything else? Suffering. Suffering. Great. How would any other... I don't want to put you on the spot. Any, any, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Great. That's wonderful. Anyone else? Okay, so, you know, we'll look a little further into this, but these, do you, yeah, okay, I, I felt like you had something to uh, share, but we'll look at this a little uh, more. So th those are some ideas of themes. Anything else? Any other strategies? One simple one I think Colleen had mentioned before, you know, I was looking at these Bibles that we have here, but they didn't have it. You know, uh, even a simple uh, Bible which has cross-references, I don't know how else to put it other than cross-reference, right? You go to the New Testament and you'll see a, a, a quote from the Old Testament. So what do you do? You look up the cross-reference and you go back and you see how it's fulfilled in Jesus. Or why is it in the New Testament? So you go back to see why it's there, and then that gives a better picture. So I'm going to put that down as cross-reference. Okay? Okay, I'm going to read a verse to you. And I'm going to work a little backwards, so try and see if you know what I'm talking about here. Um, this is from, you don't have to turn there, just listen. This is from the book of Romans, um, and it's from chapter 5, and this is the verse. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. What is this? Who... Any idea who this passage is referring to? Or there's more than one, actually. Any idea who this is talking about? Sorry? Adam and Jesus, right? Perfect. So often, the, the theologians have this term, typology, or shadows, perhaps. You know, uh, Seven Mile Road, I think we did a whole sermon series on shadows. People, or... Or, you know, like, for example, we talk about the high priest, shadows or typology, types of Christ. Adam, there was Adam, you know, who sinned. And then there was the last Adam who was Jesus, which is the one that I just talked about. So there's the last, the first Adam and the last Adam. So there's types of Christ in the Old Testament that actually point to Jesus, who is the better, who fulfills um, all the things that are talked about in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about Jonah in a few minutes. Jonah is another example of that. Okay, so I'm going to put down um, types or shadows. And let me ask you a question. Now I'm just going to veer off from the Bible for a second. 
and I'm going to ask you, I don't know if, if any of you guys have heard this or will recognize this, right? If I tell you, um, tell me if you recognize this, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Anyone know where that's from? Any literature? Shakespeare, that's right. Which one? Romeo. Romeo and Juliet, right? High school, I kind of had to, I, I only remember that verse, but, uh, or that line. What is the story? What is Romeo and Juliet about? Love story, love story right? It is, tr it's a tragic love story. What? Starcross? <laughs> she has so many ideas about this one. It's great. Okay. That's right. That's right. There you go. So it's a love story, right? It starts off with two feuding families. Now, if you stopped halfway through the middle, right? How do love stories usually end or hopefully end? And they lived happily ever after, right? But you need to get to the end of the book in order to know. Actually, it's tragedy. It kind of, they die, right? How would you know that if you didn't read the whole book? You need to read all the way to the end to know they die, okay? So now let me ask you, let me bring it back to the Bible. If I were to give this verse to you, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is that from? Jesus on the cross. Now anyone have any idea? You don't have to give me exact references. Is that verse anywhere else in the Bible? Psalms, right? How did you know that? Because you've read it. Exactly. That, it's honestly as simple as that. Because you've read it. And I want to bring a point here. Another strategy or tool. I don't even know if it's a strategy or tool. Just something um, that will be very important. Is biblical theology. Now that seems like a big word. It was to me. right? It seems like a lot has to go into it. Some of you guys. How do you develop a biblical theology? You read the Bible, right? You read the Bible. And some of you are doing it already by reading the Bible for yourself. You guys are coming to church Sunday after Sunday, and we are grateful that we sit under pastors who preach faithfully. You're developing a biblical theology, right? And like I said uh, with Romeo and Juliet, it's kind of a silly example, but I want to make a point. In order to develop a theology of the Bible, and if you want to see how the gospel is a thread that connects the, all these books together, you need to start reading from the beginning, and you need to work your way. You, it's some, now, is it hard work? I mean, as we were working in context, or just, you know, just as we were working earlier in the passages, you can see it takes time, but it's worth it. Because as we study God's word, it's not just about gaining head knowledge. And our desire is not that we would give these tools to all of us so that we'd go home, oh, I'm going to apply tools so I'll know the Bible more, I know how to dissect passages. It's wonderful, but ultimately, it's so that we will know God more and love Him more. So that is the way you would develop a biblical theology, okay? I want to work through some examples where we have a little more time. Um, and let's see how some of this is worked out, okay? So we are going to work through the strategy of shadows or types. Um, we're going to turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1.
And again, I know that perhaps this uh, passage is familiar to a lot of us, so just take a few minutes and read it. And again, I'd like you to talk with a partner and or someone at your table and consider how are some ways that you've heard this passage preached before. Just the first chapter. Just the first chapter. Yep, just the first chapter. Okay, I page 775. 774, I should say. Jonah chapter 1. How are some ways that you've heard this passage taught before? And what are some good principles that you can get out of this passage? So we're trying to think, what are some ways that you've heard this taught before? What are some um, good principles you can get out of this passage? You can't run from God. God. That's a good one, because he's going to come find you. (laughs) Run from God. That's right. Can't. Anything else? That's I love that one. Can I say, like, God, how is God interrupting your life? Like, you have a plan to go somewhere. Interrupting. In God's interruptions? God's interruptions. I forget how. Okay. <laughs> That's good. God's interruptions. It's so interesting how clever people can get with passages, right? Okay. Anything else? 
Wow, that's good. There will always be obstacles when you're trying to, well, either follow or not follow God, right? Obstacles in. Okay, anything else? These are great. You know what's crazy? These are probably things that we've heard, right? Um, what about, you better obey God, otherwise there's going to be con consequences, right? Just do what he says, right? You're going to be eaten up by a whale. Um, <laughs> or whatever the equivalent is these days. But anyway, okay. Now, I want us to consider... How does Jesus see this passage? Now again, we want to remember there, is, there are principles within this, right? There are principles that we can take away from Jonah 1, but we're trying to see how does this connect us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So turn with me. I'll just give you the page number, 817, the book of Matthew, chapter 12. And we're going to read from verse 38 to 42 or actually let's do it to 41 and can someone read that for me please I was reading it like light bulbs start going off. I thought it was awesome. Okay, any ideas? How is, how is Jesus talking about or referring to Jonah? Any ideas? What's he saying here? That's right. Okay, so he's saying, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, right? That he's talking about his death. Okay, anything else? Okay, tell me about that. I was trying to connect it back to it's the same as the Garden of Eden. God's word said, do not, drink, do not eat of that tree. Okay. You will surely die. Yep. And fled his presence. So is it a shadow or type of the way that mm. our hearts sin? Like, okay. I think you're going somewhere. You're totally going somewhere. Now, if, you ha if that had to point to Jesus, all of what you said, mm. okay, so in... In the Garden of Eden, um, God tells him not to eat the food, fruit, or God tells Jonah to go and he flees. What's, what happens with jo Jesus? What, uh, it doesn't have, I don't want to put you on the spot. That's really good. That is really wonderful. What is it? So when he fled to, when he took on our queen, so 
Yeah. Or made a way, right? Made a way. He made a way, right? Yeah. Okay, so how... The, I, I, go ahead. Okay, well, so then they said, then the, the uh, captain of the ship says, call on your God. Uh-huh. Then they cast lots. Well, the lot was cast before creation on Jesus. Huh? Wow, I, I totally didn't even see any of that. Yeah, right? Okay. That It was already talking about Jesus. Okay, so... Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, a Gentile, a pagan nation, right? And Jonah flees. He wants nothing to do with it. Finally, he actually goes. Do you know what happens when these people actually repent? What happens to Jonah? He gets mad, right? And then Jesus, he comes. You know, when Peter tells Jesus, oh, I don't want you to die, what does Jesus tell Satan? Get thee behind me. Because he knows his purpose of coming to earth was to die for a people who would what? Accept him? No, the people these is, the people that Jesus died for, they didn't want him. They're the ones who crucified him. But Jesus, unlike Jonah who flees, Jesus actually died for these people, right? So he says in this verse, Something greater, someone greater than Jonah is here. And he is greater than Jonah. He will die on behalf of a people who wanted nothing to do with him. Now that is one example of shadows. Do you guys want to do one more? Okay. Um, Let's consider themes, okay? And we're going to go into the New Testament for this one. Um, We're going to go to Hebrews again. Page 1007. We're going to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. And this we're going to kind of focus on themes. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. Can I have volunteer for that? Okay, we can actually stop there. Okay, I got really excited when I read this passage. I thought it was so cool. Okay, any themes jumping out? Yeah, so the theme of high priest, right? Okay, anything else? Blood was needed, yep. So along with that, can we say sacrifice, right? I love that, right? 
No, it was done. Sacrifices did not have to be made again. And going back to the high priest, right? It says, um, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Now, if you read about high priests in the Old Testament, they had to go year after year after year because it was just never going to be done because they were sinful people. But Jesus, the final and the high priest, was able to go, go into the temple and sort of tear down that wall that separated us from man and God, right? And then blood and sacrifices. It just was never, it was a, not to say, it was a mess, right? It was just a lot of blood and sacrifice year after year. But once Jesus came, it was done, there was no more sacrifice to be made. And you know what else is really cool? We were talking about this. Jesus is the high priest and he's the sacrifice as well, right? Isn't that really cool? He is he's the priest who intercedes or stands on our behalf, but he's also the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Right? That was that's from the book of John. So, you know, and here in verse 14 it says, "How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal, do you hear that? Eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Um, and then, sorry, back in verse 12, it says, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, going back to the gospel message, that this is eternal, that he has brought our salvation, and for those who believe in him, it's done. So can you see how moving away from good works and a moralistic message can be so freeing, right? And that's why it's so important to see how does Jesus fit into every portion of Scripture. I'll give you one last example and then we'll wrap it up, right? Perhaps you've heard this verse. First, this is from the book of First Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Chosen race. Who is that in the Old Testament? The Israelites. The holy nation, right? The royal priesthood. Again, that high priest, the... the, line of Levi, there was something, there was a lot of, you know, there was some weight to that line of Levi, if you're a high priest and all of that. But who becomes that high priesthood? Who becomes part of that royal priesthood? We do. We become part of that holy nation. We're the people right here when the message was taken out and proclaimed. And for those of us and all who believe, we become part of this. I feel like that's exciting, that's liberating, that's incredible. That is the message that we get to share. And anything short of that is incomplete, and we are taking away a life-giving message that God has given to us. And that's why it is important to see the gospel in every portion of Scripture. 
It's the gospel that binds and ties all of scripture. I'm going to just end with this last, since I studied, uh, started with this. Sometimes I just like to keep it simple, and I just want to go back to where it's simple. How I develop my biblical theology sometimes. Um, I'm going to go to the book of Jonah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, after three days, the fish spat Jonah safely out onto a sandy beach. Just then, Jonah heard someone calling his name. Go to Nineveh, God said. And this time, Jonah said, yes. He went straight to Nineveh and told everyone God's wonderful message. Even though you run far from God, he can't stop loving you, Jonah told them. Run to him so he can forgive you. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. They learned to do what God said and to stop running away from him just like Jonah. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness. It's a kid's storybook Bible. But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language Everything God wanted to say to the whole world in a person. Anyone have any questions? I'm not good with sciences, so we're going to pray now. (laughs) God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives us life. We thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you, God, that we who were once far away were brought near in the name of Jesus through what you have done. My God, we pray that you would open our eyes so that when we open your word, we would see you. We would see your grand plan. We would see that we who did not deserve it, that you died for us, you rose again so that in you we would have eternal life and so that in you we would not be separated from you. God, We pray that we would love your word, that we would love you through your word as as our eyes are open to see you more and more. And God, we pray that you would make each one of us women people who would go and share this life-giving message, whether it be to our family members, whether it be to our co-workers, whether it be, and God, that you would provide us opportunities to study your word with other people so that we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, but we would share the life that is found in Jesus alone. So God, we ask that you would do all these things in ways much more than we can ever ask or imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just wanted to wrap up, right?